Okay. So, welcome mm -hmm. to the cracks in postmodernity. It's our first episode. It's very it exciting. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a podcast whose goal is to subvert the subversiveness of postmodernism through a pretentious and ironic cultural commentary. No one knows what that means. I know. I don't know what it means either, but that's the whole point. So for our first inaugural episode, we're going to talk about one of the prime sources of postmodern cultural sensibility, the American university. <gasps> so exciting. Um, so I started my freshman year at an elite university in a metropolitan area that shall not be named. Mm -hmm. Call it Voldemort. Um, 11 years yeah, Hogwarts. ago. Hogwarts <laughs> University. So that was 11 years ago. And our special guest today, who is my brother, Nick, started his freshman year like three days ago. Yes. Believe it or not, it was... Um... Wow. It was like not, not even a week ago yet, which is like crazy. I, I mean, I've only had one day of class because of the hurricane neoliberalism, but you know, mm -hmm. um, what are you going to do? So you're a fresh, fresh man. Oh, no. Sorry, Stephen. First year. First year. You can't but say, can't say, say it's offensive. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, okay. So what is the trajectory of the American University? How is this trajectory shaping American culture? This is what we're going to talk about. So, Nick, tell us about the first couple of days of your first year experience. Well, um, prior to my first day of class, I had a whopping six days of orientation. Oh, God, help us. Six days. And not only were they six days, it was six days from 8 a.m. to about 5 p.m. Torture session. Essentially. Um, I mean, it was just very clear to me right off the bat. I mean, I expected all of this. I mean, I, I went to public school. I know what the deal is. Mm -hmm. um, it was very uh, pat yourself on the back. Um, but I, there was a lot of... You're not an imposter. No, there was a lot of like, they talked about imposter syndrome yeah. and how you're not We're an imposter. all imposters. But we all are. I mean, I mean and the reality is, I'm not going to say, you know, but it's imposter you. Let's let's be real. Yeah. yeah. But um, PhD in imposter studies. Yeah. And I mean, listen, every single person took it upon themselves to talk about things like anti-racism and social justice and you know Which the, we love. Yes, we do no love problem. these things. Absolutely not. But I, I we don't there like was, when you perform it though. It boils down to this. Yes, there was very little of anything about academics at all. It was very... Wait, but I thought it was a university. Well, see, Stephen, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they were not invested in, like, telling students uh, what it would be like academically. Or, you know, the reality is there was no um, emphasis on the academic rigor, which, I, I mean, to be truthfully honest, they're probably... Triggering. It is triggering. It might off put some people. Okay, but... but did anyone ever address explicitly, like, what is the point of being at a university, getting an education? Like, why are we here? <sighs> I mean, it was, you know, flailing and fleeting and, oh, you know, it's to be, become the whole person. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, what does it mean to be a person, though? Um, well, that's a great question, Stephen. 
um, to be a person at the American, well, the, at the American, you know, exactly. At the American university, you're not a person. I mean, let, let's, so let's, it's, but this is the whole point that whatever it was. So to, to me, to be a person, it's whatever you want it to mean, mm-hmm. but then it ends up meaning nothing because Correct. there's no, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's this idea of like individuality when you get to the college campus for the first sure. time, but the reality is you're all exactly the same. Um, so then there's no possibility of like being united as a cohesive like community because if there's no shared understanding of like who am I, why are we here, then like we're totally atomized little, you know. Of course. Okay. Well, let me get back to anyway. Yeah. Um, a lot of posturing, a lot of uh, lectures on how to be better people, essentially. It was like morality Olympics. But what if just... you're a bad person? What do you do about that? Well, I think stop I, I, we're all bad people. But as that's far the as I'm point. Yeah, we're all flawed, They're training but... you to stop being who you are. Well, I... No, well, that's the irony is that, you know, it's, yeah, it's guys, I mean, listen, they're telling you to be who you are, you're just, you know, whatever it is. And, but don't um, be who you are. No, no, of course not, because that would offend someone. And Listen, I went to college, going to college now in an attempt to get an education. Um, but from what I can tell in my first week, there's not much interest in that. What is their interest? Well, I mean, there's a lot of interest in opinion giving and person making and mm-hmm. um, social justice, but not even like a social justice in a, you know. In a concrete. Yeah, exactly. It's a very sense. like, this is something we talk. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, and I told you this earlier, but I mean, it's like they have the holy trinity of books mm-hmm. and at every presentation, someone recommends it you know, the how to be an anti-racist, white fragility. And the Bible. And, well, no, of course not. No, but no. those those are the Bible. But, um, and like whatever the third one is, it's usually a rotating cycle of books. But um, listen, I'll be transparent. I've never read them. Have you? Um, I've read excerpts of how to be anti-racist. Yes. Listen, I don't think I've ever I've, I, Yeah, and I've read them for classes as well. But I... I've never read them in their entirety, but um, I mean, listen, if someone keeps telling me to read a book, like every single person, I'm not going to read it. Why would you do that? It's like telling people don't do drugs, don't smoke, don't drink, and then you're going to do it Mm. because people said don't do it. I mean, it's, it's frustrating because the reality is there's so many books. I mean, I think it reflects poorly on the people who are suggesting these books in my eyes, because it's like, I know you're actually not that well read because if that were the case, mm. well, you don't think so. No, I agree. Oh. It's just disappointing. It is disappointing. And it's like, if you were referring me to the three same books, all right, I'm done reading those books. Now what? You know, it's mm. like, I, I know how to be anti-racist. It's a ridiculous uh, idea. I mean, listen, and I get it because not most people read. Um, or at least read to an extent yeah. that, you know, you're reading more than one book a year. But but so then this is the big thing mm-hmm. here. Um, there are valuable things in those books, things you can learn. Yeah. Things that are actually, might actually help to counter social issues. 
the question is why is it being presented as if this is the sole approach this mm -hmm. is like to the point that it becomes dogma as opposed to like this is an approach which can be effective in some ways has strengths has weaknesses like multiple other approaches why are we giving i mean this is, but it all comes down to this for me as we um we hear from our dear friend camille also known mm -hmm. as camille palia dr camille dr. Come on, Steven. Palia. get it right um so okay post-structuralism everyone's debating like oh should we ban should we teach critical race theory it's really hard to have this discussion if you don't understand what post-structuralist philosophy is and that's partially because in america we don't care about teaching philosophy because <laughs> we're pragmatists that's from the beginning but no so it's like it's a school of thought whose origin is like what 50s 60s sorbonne france mm -hmm. a very yes, particular place yes. um and it spawns this kind of um this movement of critical theory and we use it to critique certain um social norms social ideas so especially having to do with gender race class ability multiple social phenomena um it has it, it's um i always i call it valuable food for thought like it gives you real questions to consider the solutions questionable but it's something worth looking at what i'm what i can't wrap my head around is that like why give a particular school of thought which again has its strengths has its weaknesses a monopoly when there are different perspectives we should be looking at but this, so then the reactionary sense of like let's ban it but that's no, like, that's, that's all that's equally totalitarian yeah it's fascist to say to force people to believe and it's like it's fascist to force people to believe in a religious perspective the same way mm -hmm. um but again to ban it it's like why not present this as something worth considering um but not presenting as if this is the be all and all. yeah i i think especially because, in yeah. well sorry for off but yeah. in a in a at least a university setting to present anything as fact is overstepping your bounds as a professor already and but it's the claim of neutrality though because it's like everything's well, relative yeah. everything's neutral except well for except, when we tell you, you have. Yeah. so like if we're gonna say everything's neutral relative then let's maintain them let's be consistent well the problem is no one's neutral i mean no i, I told you i'm not neutral. i had a professor it's very boring who yes. openly admitted to being far left the first day in class and i have no problem with i'm gonna just being. say hold on there's something very freudian about that why do you what? feel the need to tell that to your students you obviously have well I, i'll put it this way paternal maternal complex. oh you definitely do <laughs> you have a problem I mean, listen, I don't want to get on this professor because it's early and, you know, I, I want to experience the class. Yes, but, I, and listen. But that's inappropriate. But the irony, the irony is that we're probably far left, at least politically. No? I think we're all over the board. Yeah, well, it depends but, who's, you know, who's drawing up the boundaries. The right, boundaries. exactly. Yeah, like I have Just no, I have no problem with this lady being far left. No, I have a problem with her saying that's that. Not no, it's not it's professional. It's not your place and... to tell people, to tell your students. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're in a position of authority, there's a certain level of, of humility that comes along with that. That, like, I'm here to help you 
give you the tools to form your own opinion. For me mm -hmm. to come in and say, this is my opinion. Like, maybe in certain circumstances, yes, but on the first day, like, I just feel like that's an abuse. I thought of it was power. odd. And then, you know, she threw in, like, but I'm open to all ideas. Well, it's sure like, well, thanks. So yeah, for, you know, you're so saying that. And then, and listen, I, I have, you know, I'll say it again, no problem with this person being far sure. left. Good for you. Sister. I just, I mean, I think it's unfair. Listen, she clearly felt as though she was in a safe environment mm -hmm. to disclose that. I mean, disclose it. She's a professor, but um, they're all far left. But <laughs> so, but you create an alienating. Yes, exactly. If there and was, also, what listen, if I'm a far leftist, but not the kind you are? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, and then that's the reality. So that you have. It's like you could say, "Oh, I'm open to everyone," but to start by that position is automatically alienating. Yeah, and, and listen, abusive again, this is a metropolitan area uh -huh. university, and I'm sure there's very few Trump supporters, if any. Um, but if they were in that probably class, pro what? Probably, they probably have probably... been killed by now. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and listen, I, I'm not in the business of, like, making people feel comfortable. Um, as Safe space. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, if I'm a Trump supporter in that classroom, <gasps> stop it. I'd feel very uncomfortable. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd be upset. I'd be frustrated that my professor, like, alienated me on the first day of class. But, and, yeah, it's, like, it's I mean, just but again, not professional. No. Like, yeah. So here's the first paleo quote of the day. We've all been waiting for this. So this is from Provocations. This essay was, what, 2016, we said? Mm -hmm. Okay, so she says, the queen says... Here we come to one of the most pernicious aspects of identity politics as it reshaped the American university, the confusion of teaching with social work. The issue of improper advocacy in the classroom has never been adequately addressed by the profession. Teaching and research must strive to remain objective and detached. The teacher as an individual citizen may and should have strong political convictions like your professor mm -hmm. and activities outside the classroom but in the classroom he she or they should never take ideological positions without at the same time frankly acknowledging them as opinion to the students and emphasizing oh my god so long one that all students are completely free to hold and express their own opinions on any issue no matter how contested from abortion, homosexuality, global warming to the existence of God, evolution. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, because of the failure of American colleges and universities to seek and support ideological diversity. So this is the thing, diversity. Is there diversity of viewpoints, of approaches no, to issues? Of course not. Um, I mean, that's, you know, it, obviously that's like a hypothetical or, yeah. you know. But think of all the different approaches to racism. You have... Cornell West, friend of the friend, friend of the <laughs> um, Christian socialism. You have mm -hmm. Martin Luther King's approach, the nonviolent civil disobedience. You have Malcolm X, black separatism. You have Pan Africanism. You have all these approaches that actually came from black people who've gone you through. You can ignore the best of them all. Yeah. So, like, why are we prizing this one approach and not having diversity of approaches? Like, it's right. I mean. You failed to mention James Baldwin, so how dare you? But oh, oops, I'm sorry, James Baldwin. Um, if you're in heaven. Yeah. Well, probably not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, 
I mean, you know, obviously there's no diversity of thought. And I showed you this before we started, but if yes. you look up Robin D'Angelo on uh, Google, I don't want to see. There's no photos that come up. Look, uh, Stephen is looking it up. Yeah, she says she has Italian though. It's supposedly. You have to go to images to see her, whereas you know, for anyone else, look. If I look up up Ibram X Kendi, picture comes up, of course. And you know why Robin D'Angelo doesn't come up, Stephen? Because she's not the best person to look at. No, well, oh, well that's not very nice. All right. It's because picture. she's white. She's sixty-four. White does crack. <laughs> God. I, I mean. I don't know. I remember being a sophomore in high school and you gave me the fire next time. Yeah. And that was formative to say the very least. Um, And I thought that was like the (laughs) cancel. Sorry, this is not relevant. There's a, (laughs) if you Google search her images, there's an image of her and it has a big red canceled, but it's not because they canceled her. It's because they canceled an event because of COVID. Sorry, that's fake. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, it was a formative experience, and I thought I was like, "Wow, that's a really, you know, insightful book." It really changed the way I look at things. And then when a certain event happened in May of 2020, yeah, I came to realize that people were not interested in James Baldwin. Um, some are some, well I mean, yeah no but ever since that happened I've seen more and more James Baldwin quotes floating around really yeah I haven't seen because uh, I, I remember talking about the fire next time with people especially during a particular event I, I don't think anyone's but... sitting down and reading his whole essays or books. no of course not but I think it is cool because to, if like, they did it would be very different because he like look he says a lot of things that I think Kendi and a lot of the new critical race theory people like there's a lot of overlap but there's more depth and ultimately it's that like he's saying we all need to look at ourselves and Mm -hmm. it's not just like let's change our language let's like he wants a full transformation of the person right which takes a lot more work yeah he there's an idea that he has in the fire next time of like racism hurts white people yes which seems to be lost and you know that white people are solely just being racist to gain power or, or you know, exert power, which is probably true, but yeah. At the same time, the idea that racism is actually bad for everyone. Um, But it's coming from this understanding of like what it means to be happy, what it means to be a good person. That's so much richer, has more nuance and depth than like, like when I see something like Robin D'Angelo, I don't see a proposal. Like what does it mean to be a fulfilled happy human being no. there's no overarching image whereas baldwin when he's saying similar things that they might say like it's coming from a place of real human genius mm-hmm. i mean and you know with the three books that uh, you know are apparently the three gospels of anti-racism um uh, there's just i mean uh, you know obviously it's easy to say there's no diversity of opinion in those but the reality is is that do, can we only read three books? Is so there some not... people can't even read one book? Well, that's true. People are yeah. like have really short attention spans. And I, I know, and you know what? And I think, I mean, and the level of writing really isn't that complex. 
No, I was going to say it's thing. easily yeah. accessible. Yeah, as but, opposed to reading Baldwin or Cornell. Um, you know, you really have to sit with it. Mm -hmm. It's going to challenge you on that, like on a deeper human level. Right. Um, but no, just it is very strange to me that people are going back and forth. Like, should we ban critical race? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't even know what it is because right. most people haven't picked up a book. Most people haven't um, tried to understand. Like, we don't ask where do these ideas come from and are they plausible? Like, do they have value? What are their strengths and weaknesses? Mm -hmm. It's like either it's the puritanical thing that, you know, from the beginning of this country, it's like either it's evil or it's, you know, the greatest thing and we must force it on people. There's no space for nuance, no shades of gray. Yeah, and I, it, it's ironic that you mention, you know, the puritanical elements of American culture. Um, you know, at the, the same time, we're experiencing a total secular secularization of American culture. But not really. But not really, because at the same time, we're having these puritanical, you know, English church, you know, elements infiltrating, you know, Protestant values infiltrating our culture. Not how we believe or, you know, look at religion, obviously, but at the way we treat people. And that at the end of the day, people are bad or good. You're which, saved. Yeah. Or, or yeah, damn. which is ridiculous. I mean, apparently we're all Calvinists. That's who it is, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, which no one wants to be. No. It's a terrible way of why looking would, at I'm life. I'm sorry, but why would you want to be a Calvinist? There's no fun. No. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like we're in denial because we proclaim like they were secular, we're free thought, we're open. When really we are Puritans who have kind of erased mm. some of the, you know, like the biblical yeah, the, the, kind of things, whatever, the worship and doctrines. But anyway. I don't think that's a terrible thing. Uh, whatever. If it were Catholic. Let's just say, call, yeah. yeah, if we were, if only everyone would convert to Catholicism and we had a Catholic monarch. Everything would be better. Yes, of course. No, um, we don't promote that. No, we definitely but don't. We don't promote, promote any promote anything. Yeah, at all. No, no, we're actual free we, thought. We promote being yourself. Be yourself. Yeah, and you'll. I'll be call safe. you whatever you want. Okay. As long as it's not what offends me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, everything's falling apart. <laughs> we're all gonna die. How about this, Stephen? You as a an educator, educator. of why the youth. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that, Stephen? Why, why don't you tell the lunatic. folks listening at home why you love to be an educator so much? You love to educate. Because I like to force my opinions on vulnerable <laughs> people who don't know what I'm doing to them. Um, well, no. Just to think back to my own experience. Yeah. 11 years ago as a freshman at the unknown university mm -hmm. which we're speaking of, it would take very little research to i know out, but, but <laughs> you know we just want to cover our bases mm -hmm. no i mean there is a lot of ideological stuff but not nearly to the extent that you're telling me about mm -hmm. what i noticed was like that was the first time i heard about white privilege right 
And I was resistant at first. And I think... Well, I mean, that's the natural. Yeah, I think it's natural for white people to be resistant. And at a certain point, slowly, I started to realize, no, like, there are certain experiences that I've never had to go through Mm -hmm. because... Uh, people construe me as white. I'm not going to say that. I'm well, white. yeah. Well, because that's really we we, we actually don't know. Well, we weren't white a hundred years ago. Well, that's you definitely terrain. weren't. I was not. Yeah, with my uh, Oriental blood. Stephen's actually Arab, but I do have Arab blood. Though. Yes, you do. Very little. But anyway, no. So like, I I slowly came to terms with that. Um, there were a lot of really uh, good things, though good mm-hmm. people i like that as much as there is a lot of performative kind of social justice talk there were real opportunities to engage in you know charitable works like going on trips to see what people are experiencing learning like what are the needs how can we respond but in a concrete way like that yeah. that's what i think like people who want to have a real experience want to really face these big questions about social issues. Like you got to go out of your way to find those opportunities. I mean, and I tell people this all the time and I try to sprinkle it in, in the conversations I have at university, but the greatest form of social justice is creating relationships with people. And and I don't know why this is lost on many people. Relationships are hard though. Well, they're very hard. And especially in the modern age, it's, it's uh, postmodern. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, the postmodern age, um, you know, COVID era, yeah. online, even world. worse now. Yeah, and the level of discussion is not like it's not the level of experience of like encountering another human mm-hmm. and asking about their life. It's very no, it's abstract. totally detached, and and, and that's the, I have to say this also that like what helped me to understand that there are privileges that come with being construed as white is when people actually opened up, took the risk of sharing themselves with mm-hmm. me. And look, that this is a, a thing that I've also had to realize is that that can be very hard mm-hmm. if you've really gone through some really painful experiences, whether based on your identity, based on I don't know, whatever suffering. Mm-hmm. To share your suffering with someone is like, it's really hard to trust them because you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know if they're going to hurt you. Right. But thankfully, some people did trust me, and I learned a lot from it. So I don't think this kind of dialogue, these relationships, are what's encouraged no, at this point. Not. No, I, I mean, it's a lot of, this is an objective truth that people are presenting to you, and there's no discussion, which is, which is unfortunate, because there is a lot of room for discussion about something like this. We need discussion. Of course. Which is hard. It's very hard. But we got to do the work. Yes, we got to do the work. That's what a lot of people, that's what they always say. But yeah, so the question of why is this very abstract, theoretical approach, the one that's favored by universities, by corporations, ultimately it's elitism. Yeah, it's, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's objectively hard to comprehend. Um at least, you know, from an outsider perspective looking in at something like critical race theory, it's hard to understand. Yeah. Um, which is why I, I, I think, you know, especially for universities and elite institutions, a, a big point of maintaining the idea that it, it is an elite institution is by keep, keeping people confused. And by maintaining this level of, well, elitism to make it seem like they're above the working class essentially and what makes it elite is essentially that you're approaching very real issues 
very concrete issues in such an abstract way mm -hmm. while claiming that like this is the absolute answer when in reality it's like you're advocating for these people who are in reality concretely oppressed suffering mm -hmm. um but responding to these people in a way that's just so foreign to their lived Correct, experience yeah. to any human's real lived mm -hmm. everyday life kind of experience yeah and this is what Lash yeah, talks about. Yeah, I mean, about. especially when he talks Speaking about the Speaking of Christopher Lash. Yes. Christopher Lash, the uh, biblical prophet himself. Um, Allah's you know, mouthpiece. Huh? Allah's mouthpiece. Yes, of course. You know, he says, like, the corporate policies of the university, both internal and external, addition of new departments and programs, cooperation and more research, blah, 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 blah. Where's the part about what I'm talking about? Okay, here we go. Um... The whole problem of American education comes down to this. In American society, almost everyone identifies intellectual excellence with elitism. The attitude not only guarantees the mo monopolization of educational advantage by the few, it lowers the quality of elite education itself and threatens to bring about a reign of universal ignorance. Mm. Spot the lie. Yeah. That's the truth, Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> So it's it let's advocate for people who are genuinely oppressed, but so that they will come over to this. Again, and we should clarify when I when I'm saying elitist, I'm not talking necessarily about people who are like upper class who are you know privileged in many ways. It's more of a we're talking about like a moral kind of spiritual worldview. Like mm -hmm. it's a view that um, favors those who don't have to live in the midst of very hands-on everyday experiences especially like people who you know do manual labor or who have commitments to their families to traditions mm -hmm. to cultures to roots it's like very detached from real everyday human of course life. yeah I, which I, people who are oppressed like that has a certain significance for them as opposed to mm -hmm. people who are very privileged yeah who can, I, and I've, all those things I've noticed this about a lot of the material, at least that I've been assigned in the first couple weeks of class, or days of class, I should say. It's very, a lot of it's New York Times, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, which, again, uh, you know, at, at, at least in certain circles, esteemed publications. Esteemed. I don't want to be part of those circles. Well, <laughs> at the same time, a lot of it, like, you read these things and it's like... Can I just say It's this? like a robot's writing it. Sorry. At the yeah. I mean, listen, a lot of it's been New York Times, New Yorker, and... The Atlantic. The Atlantic, and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of it is like, oh, these are esteemed papers of publication, and which is ridiculous. But um, the first thing I noticed when reading these kinds of articles is... Uh, it's like they were written by some artificial intelligence modeled to... White Lotus. What about What's it? her name? Um, Shane's wife? Correct. The way she wrote the article. Exactly. It's just exact, copied yeah. and pasted. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, and that's essentially every article that's published in yeah. New York Times. Or, Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I, I understand it because like people read that, but at the same time, it's, it's like... I, it's literally like reading an AI-generated article. Yeah. So, and I don't know why professors, you know, as you'll get into... Speaking of professors, yeah, why Professor they recommend Professor once said, and I quote, 
So this is her talking about um, when post-structural thought started to spread in American universities. She said it was like the 70s. Started at Johns Hopkins, mm. moved to Yale. And when we're talking about post-structuralism, talking about Derrida, Lacan, Foucault, who you will read. Unfortunately, Unfortunately you have to. You have no choice. Um, okay, so she was like... When she was first exposed to Lacan and Derrida, the first time I witnessed a continental theorist discoursing with professors at a Yale event, I said in exasperation to a fellow student, they're like high priests murmuring to each other. It is absurd that the elitist theoretical style, with its opaque and contorted jargon, was ever considered leftist, as it still is. Authentic leftism is populist, uh-oh, <gasps> with the brutal directness of speech. Sounds like some people we know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so what are your thoughts, Stephen? Yeah, so it's it's elitist, though. And ultimately, yeah, what's hypocritical is that you're claiming to advocate for certain people who have gone through real oppression, struggling, but the worldview you're presenting is very foreign to their experience, but to most humans lived experience Mm -hmm. um and i've seen in my own experience working with primarily like people of color young men that they tend not to have a taste for the way that um these problems are construed by elites because it just doesn't resonate with the way that they perceive relationships just reality in general Mm -hmm. so it's like why are you claiming to advocate for people when you're alienating them with the kind of moral, spiritual yeah. worldview you're, you're I, ascribing I, to? Yeah. And I would never say you shouldn't trust your professor or, or not listen to them because that's ridiculous. And you should respect. You should engage what you're Yeah, you should engage. And, you should, and, yeah. But the problem is when they're presenting something and they're in a position of authority, it's automatically at least perceived to be relatively true you have you know, power yeah exactly authority. especially in you know younger you know, high school or, yeah and there's a level of humility you have to have mm-hmm. you know yeah and i you know my experience in middle school which i you know and i had a teacher who was very formative for me at least but who was very much invested in telling everyone his opinion about like politics and this is like 2014 2015 2016 and now i'm showing how young i am oh well um but and that was like a time when people and and listen these were like mushy brain children yeah who were like just taking this and i don't want to say nonsense i mean a lot of it was nonsense but so it comes down to a crisis of education Mm -hmm. ultimately that education is it the place where we indoctrinate people with the correct views or we give them the tools to arrive at mm-hmm. reasonable conclusions themselves. Right, yeah. And and that was a problem, especially with the orientation process. Mm-hmm. It offered nothing other than, like, we're going to talk about social injustice and... Um, but social don't get inju- drunk. Yeah, don't get drunk. Don't rape anyone. Yes, listen to the um, important... I mean, those were important. <laughs> Of, of all the information we got, that was probably the most important thing. Yeah. Or you know, it's pretty important. Yeah, and Don't do it. the rest of it was a lot of like racism, social injustice is a thing. It's like okay, and 
Like, what should we do? And it was nothing, you know. And listen, I understand that you know no one's in the business of giving answers unless you know you're in the, the pope. Yeah. Well, the pope of higher education. <laughs> but Infallible yeah. Dogma. You know, it was just it was just frustrating, and oh well, you know, and what you were saying about like woke culture not resonating with people. I think it's also like a men and women thing. Like men do not care about men don't care about anything <laughs> except their pleasure and power. I don't know about that. Because men are stupid. <laughs> it's a scientific fact. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I can prove it to you. Mm-hmm. No, this is Pally again though, that like, you know this is why men try to dominate, because we know how dumb we are. So then we try to like intimidate the woman, but the woman knows mm-hmm. that we're stupid and can overpower us. I mean, and, and that's when I was talking about like liberal ideology and how it deval- it literally devalues hum- human beings, and that it views them as like these no we- lives matter. Yeah, no lives matter essentially, and that like it views people as these very weak, feeble-minded people who can't understand and comprehend how to do basic things and how to function as human beings and flourish because ultimately they believe that, or, or at least present the idea that because of your predispositioned you know, race, gender, class, whatever, that you're going to have all these obstacles that you can't overcome and it's not your fault. When in reality, like, yeah, these obstacles are real, but you can totally overcome them. You know, there's, it, the human spirit is unbreakable. That's the there's that. Yeah. There is this bigger social question, though, of like, yeah, certain structures should be adjusted, but my freedom is not contingent upon like mm-hmm. you know it's like it's a both and thing right it's like yeah we need to correct social structures that are oppressive and that alienate people exclude people but also there's a need to form the individual person themselves imbue them with a sense of dignity inner strength it has to go hand in hand like we can't exclude one or the other no and that's why i think you know there's a, a this perception that women are weak and you know don't have power in reality, they have far more power than men, at least, you know, in a nature perspective. I mean, that's probably a right, direct, right from sexual persona. Nature doesn't exist. It does not exist. That what are you me. saying? No, I'm, I'm offended by that statement. Oh, really? There's no nature. <laughs> There's no truth. No. But back to orientation. This is the thing. It's like when you don't present the both and of, like, mm-hmm. personal formation, growth alongside with you know looking at social issues like you end up presenting something that's very um either ideological or just purely sentimental there's no sense of like real substance that's what i at least i remember from my orientation it's like you use certain buzzwords about you know growing as a person and like being fully Mm -hmm. formed and then which is purely sentimental, and then you present the social issue from a very ideological perspective, it's not grounded in, like, something really solid. No, of course not. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, and I don't think people care. You know, I think people are literally... I think people want more. They just don't well, have you know what? voice Actually, that I agree. You know, we all want it. Talking if, to people, there, a lot of people were frustrated how long we're sitting there. Which yeah. is, you know, like a... Because if you're sitting instinct, there for a long time and there's something really substantial, meaningful... Yeah, if you're being stimulated yeah. and, you you know, you're actually taking in something you understand and enjoy and, you know, resonate with, then you don't care. 
but you know sitting there for eight hours a day and like being talked at about certain you know and listen the important stuff like safety and alcohol and sexual education that stuff's important and you should listen you know but that's not what we're talking about we're talking about like the you know they had a couple guest speakers and i took away nothing (laughs) absolutely nothing i mean you know at at the end of every single one i was recommended you know the foco or Mm -hmm. um you know the the holy trinity that i mentioned earlier but you know it's like and it's like okay i get it like i get it why are we still doing this you know and it's like what what am i getting out of this what am i understanding and i guess it's like does that cater to the people who are from you know the midwest and kansas who have never interacted with anyone other than themselves you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know it's just it's very interesting to me that this is what we consider orienting yeah so it's the I mean, fact, it's disorienting if anything but that's the point it's yeah. like you present this um again very sentimental ideological worldview which mm-hmm. first of all baldwin hated those two things yes that's why you need to read baldwin um but in turn, you're presenting nothingness. Mm-hmm. You're presenting something very empty and vapid. Um, I'm going to pull out the Deneen quote. Um, it talks about so yeah, so like the multiculturalism thing is really uh, a play for um, anti-culture. Mm-hmm. So he says, uh, whereas culture is an accumulation of local and historical experience and memory. So the whole idea that like. The lived everyday experience, the sense of rooted, being rooted in something concrete. Um, liberal culture, scare quotes, is the vacuum that remains when local experience has been eviscerated. Memory mm-hmm. is lost and every place becomes every other place. A panoply of actual cultures is replaced by celebration of multiculturalism. The reduction of actual cultural variety to liberal homogeneity, loosely dressed in easily discarded native garb. Um, even as cultures are replaced by a pervasive anti-culture, the language of culture is advanced as a means of rendering liberal humanities detachment from specific cultures. So ultimately, yeah, he says, homogenous celebration of every culture effectively means no culture mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, I mean, I notice this at least, especially now, is that most cultures, at least ethnic cultures, are the direct antithesis of like liberal ideology. You know, go it flies in the because face. it's wasp idea. That's ultimately yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, we can't say that, but um, but this is what happens when you erase ethnicity. That like mm-hmm. everything is reduced to these very abstract categories, which are not rooted in everyday reality. Mm-hmm. So you have white, but who's white? Well, I mean, wasps well, I are know. white. Are people ready for that? That's the thing. <laughs> but ultimately, there's no real substantial culture being presented and you can see that very clearly when you're in orientation yeah i mean it's a it's a like you know the people call it multiculturalism nonsense nonsense because it's not it's It's different flavors of nothingness yeah exactly it's It's like it's like water that's dyed different mm, colors with no it's like it, it it literally is this it's when like upper class white people talk about social justice and you know post about it on facebook or whatever it may be it's alienating because it feels wrong and that's essentially what it is you know it's like a culture that is has nothing to do with anything 
that's just and you know yeah. and that's what's being presented in college and, and universities and that's unfortunate so this guy on instagram i don't know who he actually is zizek zizek i don't know what his real name is zizek on a wired brain this is this guy's account i don't know how i found him um i think i know how i found him how i find most people he posted this like they're images of a dorm room that's totally trashed and he like let me read this fascinating so he said the american university system perfectly plays its function to the ruling class the student is looking down the barrel of anhedonia like hedonism maybe i have no idea here are the glittering palaces of concrete decadence soil that rides without contention or reason um so he continues what did he say so the student is made to study the systems of knowledge as opposed to learning okay so that's the whole thing of being handed down opinions rather than being given the tools to like come to conclusions bogged down by a diet of cheap liquor and food not fit for human consumption the result is a new and dangerous class like that of the forlorn janissary who eats sleeps and drinks as though no one is watching but they are hmm. the elites um they watch these spurned nights for any signs of dignity that may be written into your mind dignity is a problem for the becoming elite and then he goes on to say this is why everyone drinks and gets fucked up it's not because they actually see it's like no one says i want to just have some drinks and have a good time like you drink to the point of oblivion because um the desire to become fucked up is proof positive that you already are fucked up and that alcohol is a cursory notion to the task at hand of the psyche. So it's like okay, question. Nothingness. I don't think this guy wrote that. I think he did because it's not sure? Zuzek. But it might be someone, and we're gonna sound like real idiots. Um. No, I think he wrote it. Okay. If not, I mean, yeah. If not, then it was Zuzek. Zuzek. Anyway. I mean, yes. But spot the lie. Once yeah, again. I mean, yeah. It, that was even the case in high school. But, yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, so, like, the fact that there's, like, nothing being proposed, like, you want to embody this kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, it's just a total empty feeling. I mean, listen, and I talk about this, especially um, with people my age, is that we're collectively, I mean, at least a majority, of young people are completely miserable. Yeah, and they're so miserable to the point that they have no one to talk to, that they resort to online discourse about how miserable they are and how des- desperate they are for something and how they feel totally empty inside. And that's horrifying because that's not... That was not the case literally 10 years ago. That was not the was case. Was it? No. Well, I think, think it, it was the case we weren't as aware of it, though. Yes. It wasn't as, yeah. like, intense. 20 years ago, it didn't exist because social media didn't exist. Yeah. I think it was paving the way, though. Of course, yeah. It was all coming. But at the same time... It was cracking. Oh. You mean, like, cracks and post No, not that. But you get the picture. Yeah. It was cracking. I mean, listen. And people are completely miserable. Why? Because they have nothing to strive for. They have nothing to connect with themselves and feel meaning. You know, if you're just constantly... You know, immersed in online discourse about social justice or, you know, whatever cultural, you know, 
norm culture. What, what's a good word for it? I mean, popular culture. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, that exists. You know, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> I mean, the, the internet is essentially just a very... It's a very dark place for a human being. And it's not Tender. its not fit for human beings. It's, it's robots trying to, um, you know, conform to human beings and how their minds work. And they do it very well, scarily well. I mean, I, I don't... Neither of us have a TikTok, I don't think. No. I don't, God, yeah. No. Please. You know, but I see it, and it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's so addicting. You know, they know, like, what you like, and they show you what you like. And, like, that's scary, but because, it, you know, it's totally... on it, then, if you know what it... That it's well, it, it's legitimately addictive because there isn't an well. There's nothing else. Yeah, That's exactly. Like if you're presented with something again, something substantial, then it makes something like TikTok like okay, well that's cute, mm-hmm. you know. But in a world with no real substantial options, so what is the solution then? Well, drop out of universities, no, no, live no, in communes. No no no, 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 no. Throw your phone in the garbage. Well, I'll track you though. That would be nice. Ridiculous. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Um, I mean, we talk about this, but it's you need to build actual relationships with people, like human beings. Like, you need to go out and talk to people, which is a very scary thought. Yeah. And actually, during a lot of the orientation process, that was, like, acknowledged that talking to people is hard. And, like, you should DM on Instagram the head of a club at your university and or ask to join. Better. Or you could go talk go to, them. to them. Yeah. Go ask to be in the club. What a what a marvelous idea! I mean, totally revolutionary. But I, I mean, it's like it's mind-boggling because it's like I, I, we've done this for millennia, or probably not millennia, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, we've thrown it away in, in a matter of twenty years. So the point is, take risks, even mm-hmm. if you feel like you know you're fragile and you're going to fall apart, do it. Mm-hmm. And embrace your culture, that too. Well, that I think that's most important. Like, yeah. You have to have some starting point. Mm-hmm. You have to start somewhere, whether it's your culture, ethnically speaking, whatever values, beliefs are handed down to you. But again, like, interact, have mm-hmm. conversations, have experience. I think having experiences, like we were saying. Like, yeah. If you're interested in social issues, like go. Yeah, be with people it. and like put yourself in those situations so you can understand like what's actually happening rather than mm-hmm. what theories or what's on the internet right yeah I mean listen case closed case we closed. solved yeah. the problems of post-modernity everyone that's the whole series. if they listen to this Goodbye. you know very lucky very 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 you know, lucky we should charge people yeah oh no, well no, not yet well not yet. we have to actually get <laughs> maybe one day listeners, inshallah so before we leave, mm-hmm. um, you should follow Cracks in Postmodernity on the gram. If you don't, um, I think that's it. Is there anything else? I got nothing. Yeah, I said what I wanted to say. All right, the end. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. I hope you've been sufficiently scandalized. That's nice. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>